Um, the, the schedule today, what I'm going to try to do before our break is to cover the material in, in chapter two. Um, uh, what there is, is we have to talk about um, the languages that existed before English, how, how Anglo-Saxon came to be what it was and came to be situated where it was, how Old English got to be, got to be in Britain, essentially. And then once Old English exists, then we want to trace the history of the language. The, uh, <clears throat> the language is doing two things. It's uh, 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 the, the words, the meanings of the words, the grammar, the word structure, everything about the language is just evolving from use. In, in chapter two, we say, that language is ephemeral. What do we mean by that? <laughs> this is Christ in vocabulary. What do we mean? Yeah, it just it comes and goes. You can't you can't put your uh, your hands. Okay, you, you, when you when you try to grab it, someone already is doing something novel. If you're a dictionary writer, this is unfortunate because. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to represent the language as a stable thing. Uh, so, but but uh, the, the language is going to keep changing. So that's happening. So we're going to follow the, the natural genetic, if you will, development of the language. But as the language is evolving, it's, it's not only that we're, we're, we're taking what's there and, and using it, we're also borrowing from our neighbors. All right? And that borrowing is actually a different process. The, uh, the way a language evolves structurally is different from the way the things that happen when it borrows from foreign tongues that have different rules, different grammars. We've got a linguistic system of English, which you know if you've ever tried to explain grammar to anyone. I don't know if you do. I, I do that for a living. But <laughs> I've got a system of rules which is incredibly complicated. And now we're borrowing from a language that also has a complicated system of rules, but a totally different one from ours. Okay? And so that borrowing uh, exerts new kinds of forces on the language. And the product of the straightforward evolution and borrowings from neighbors is the mess that we have today in English. Okay? And it's only going to get worse okay, as we evolve more and borrow more and so on. Well, uh, let's first take a look at uh, the ancestry of, of English. Uh, English is called the Germanic language because there used to be uh, a tongue called that we now call Germanic. It is the ancestor of present-day German and uh, Dutch and a number of other languages. Germanic uh, is divided into three groups. West Germanic, which is the group that German and Dutch belong to, North Germanic, that's the Scandinavian languages, and East Germanic, uh, a branch of Germanic that no longer exists. The main language in that group, Gothic, uh, ceased to exist sometime in the, in the Middle Ages. Uh, we have uh, some records, written records, of what, what Gothic was like, and so we can study it and study its relation to Germanic. West Germanic, uh, family is also the, fam the, the family or the subgroup that English belongs to. 
So let's trace the ancestry of, uh, of uh, the, the descendants of West Germanic. West, West Germanic languages were spoken by the Angles, the Saxons, the Jutes, and the Frisians all around the area of modern-day Scandinavia and, and Germany. Uh, 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 Scandinavians were actually speakers of, of North uh, Germanic. <clears throat> In West Germanic, we also have Old English, and uh, Old English gave rise to Middle English and, uh, and, and so on. We got present-day English from that. Here's a, a map that shows basically the, uh, the, the Western Roman Empire of Europe just around 400 AD. And what you see is that you can recognize modern-day Spain and France. France is the green country on the map. And to the north and west of France are the British Isles part of the Roman Empire back then. As you, as you go from France north and east, you'll cover territory that, that uh, nowadays is occupied by Netherlands and Belgium and so on. As you go, move further east and, and further north from there, you'll come to modern-day Germany, kind of the north, northern coast of modern-day Germany, and Denmark, you can sort of see Denmark sticking up, up there, and uh, north and uh, further north from there, you have uh, Norway and and Sweden. Oh, what uh, the the way that uh, English came about is uh, around 500 or so A.D. The British Isles were occupied by speakers of a language that we call Celtic. Some people say Celtic, and that's perfectly OK. All right. Um, the, the Celtic language was not related to Germanic. It's quite, quite a different language. Celtic is the ancestor of modern-day Welsh. And if you've ever heard Welsh spoken, you can, you can really hear that it sounds very different from its neighbor English or uh, uh, languages that are more closely related to English, like, like German. What happened in uh, around 500 AD is that there were uh, struggles, internal struggles going on among Celts in Britain. and. Uh, some, some groups appealed to outsiders to help them to conquer their, their enemies inside Britain, their Celtic uh, enemies inside Britain. So they called on the Angles, the Saxons, the Jutes, and said, come on over, help us uh, win this war. And the Angles and Saxons and so on said, sure. And, and they won. The only problem is that when they won, they took over the, the British Isles from the Celts. So all of a sudden, the Celts went from being the people who ran the place 
to being the people who were subjugated by uh, conquerors from outside. The, uh, the, uh, the, the effect of the Anglo-Saxon invasions was to really uh, replace, uh, uh, to displace a large number of Celtic speakers, uh, which is one reason why we have the concentration in Wales of Welsh speakers. Okay, that, that migration actually started back, uh, back in the time of the Anglo-Saxon invasion. So they, uh, they chased away the people they subjugated, uh, uh, many of them, and they, they, they took over. This meant that the language of the Angles and the Saxons became the language of England, all right? <clears throat> now, this is, this is the beginning of what we call uh, uh, prehistoric English in the, in the text. Um, the, uh, uh, it, the, uh, the kinds of words that date back to that time are what you see here. Um, gold, hand, helm, land, word, winter. Uh, tell me, tell me how, how you characterize these words, other than the fact that many of them are spelt with four letters. They're short. OK, but how, how, uh, how would you, these are, these are words that we can trace back more than 1,500 years, or about 1,500 years. Very concrete. Very concrete. And, and often very mundane. I mean, granted, gold isn't mundane. But they're, they're about the earth. They're about daily life. They're about survival and so on. All right? Um, interesting words here. Um, bread, the word for bread, originally, originally had a different meaning. It meant bit or piece. And you have to do some thinking. I mean, help, help me understand how you go from the word that means bit or piece to have it mean bread. What kind of, uh, what kind of change, what kind of meaning change do you have to... What's the relationship between a bit and piece and bread, the substance? Yeah, so, so a bit is a part of bread. And in fact, even there we see that we're talking very concretely. So bread, bread sounds concrete enough, but a bit of bread, okay, like a slice of bread, that's even more concrete. Dream used to mean joy, all right? So I wonder if this is a sign that they had pleasant dreams. Never mind, I didn't mean that. Um, uh, dreary, our present day dreary. The origin, the reason why that's such a dreary word is it used to mean bloody. Okay, the word sell used to mean give. What's the relationship between sell and give? There is one. Okay, in one case, I'm giving you, giving you something and you're giving money in return. In the, in the other case, I'm not getting any money in return. So there's a relationship there, but it's really quite a, uh, quite a shift in meaning. That gives you an example of the, the sorts of words that were in the language that was planted in the British Isles by the Angles and the Saxons. <clears throat> um, you can, uh, uh, because of the, the extent of the Roman Empire, even before the Angles and the Saxons uh, came to the British Isles, 
back in their homeland, so in present-day Saxony, okay, around Germany and, and, uh, and uh, that area, um, there were linguistic influences of the Romans. So we'll find that the Latin word for wine, vinum, um, came into prehistoric English as wien and into modern-day English as wine. But that really goes back, it, it, uh, that happened not in the British Isles, it happened before the Angles and the Saxons came to the British Isles. So uh, predating the Anglo-Saxon invasions, we've already got uh, Latin uh, uh, in, the, uh, in, in the language of the Angles and the Saxons. <clears throat> in Britain, Britain before the Anglo-Saxon invasion was also uh, uh, colonized by the Romans. Julius Caesar uh, visited there, in fact. And we have a couple of, of survivals in Britain from that uh, Roman Empire period, so pre-Anglo-Saxon again. The word for mill comes from a Latin word, a borrowing from Latin uh, that, that, uh, that, that we have in, in English. And then uh, place names, uh, towns and shit like Manchester, Westchester, I don't know, uh, whatever, Worcestershire, Worcester, and so on. All, uh, uh, all those places, uh, Chester really comes from uh, a Latin root. So uh, languages other than Celtic, a language other than Celtic was kind of, uh, had some influence in the British Isles before the Angles and the Saxons came over. <clears throat> and uh, there, uh, because the, uh, the, the, the Celts were so totally defeated by the, uh, by the Angles and the Saxons, uh, traces of Celtic are very hard to, to find, but we get them in place names. Okay, place names are, are more resistant to change than uh, words for uh, 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 common objects. And so London, Corn Cornwall, and Avon all, all uh, existed before the Anglo-Saxon invasion and, and survived that invasion. <clears throat> also in this period, so this is really the earliest period of English, just after the, the Anglo-Saxon in invasions, one of the Big things, probably the biggest thing from a, a linguistic point of view, and certainly also from uh, the point of view of society, is Christianization, which brought a whole slew of new words to the language. So the Greek word angelos, which meant angel, came into English very, very easily. We just lost the Greek ending. The ending os means nominative masculine. Okay, we lost that. We got angel from it. And in, in, uh, in the Old English period, this changed to angle. We talked last week about A changing to E. So, so uh, angle was the first pronunciation of uh, angel. It changed to angle, and obviously it changed back to angel again because we don't say angle, we say angel now. So uh, right now, uh, uh, we're seeing a changing to e. We're going to have to talk about how e changed back to a. So we'll come, come to that in a moment. Um, Lord met, uh, met uh, Kyriakon in Greek, referring to the house of the Lord. This changed to Kirka, which if you, if you know German is, is uh, still the, 
the, the word for church in German. It was a uh, word for church in, uh, in Old English as well. And you see that uh, thanks to the, the, uh, the, the uh, Roman Catholic liturgy, we have uh, many words like candle, disciple, epistle, and uh, several hundred others. So here's a case where the word stock of Anglo-Saxon was enriched by an outside source. The outside source was Christianity. The languages of Christianity uh, in the Roman Empire were Greek and Latin. Okay, and so we're getting some Greek and Latin into English uh, very, very early on. Um, when when the, the Christians were looking for terms in this, in this new land, in Britain, to refer to Christian festivals and so on, sometimes they chose, uh, they, they looked for uh, native words, Anglo-Saxon words that they, that they could use. And so the word Easter, modern, modern day word Easter, was chosen by them just because it was a festival that took place uh, around in the spring when everything was coming alive. And so pe you know, people were um, celebrating the arrival of spring. And, and, uh, and so the, that, that happened to coincide with time, pretty much with the, 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 the timing of the, the Paschal Feast, which we now call Easter. So that's why in English we call it Easter while in just about every other language in Europe that I can think of, it, has, it sounds like Pascal. So in French, it's l'époque. In Spanish, Pasqua. Pasqua, okay. In Italian, yeah. It, it, in Italian and, and in Spanish, it's very, very, very similar. Um, this delta here is a substitute for a font. The, uh, the computer I'm using doesn't have the right font. The correct character for the word tenth is this. Uh, in chapter five, we talk about phonetics, and we'll, we'll see this symbol. But the, the old English word teoda, uh, tenth, uh, is the, uh, the meaning, uh, 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 came to have the meaning tithe. <clears throat> All right, so we saw the change, ah, changes to a. So English was called English, Angle was, became Angle, but now, later, when French started to come into the language, after 1066, the French element in English was so big and so prestigious that uh, speakers went back and tried to make existing words look more French, because French had such prestige. And so the word Engel, it looked too German to them. They said, oh, let's make it the way the French say it. And the French said it with an A. So, so that's, how, that's how we got back to Angel from it, and, and that stayed on. All right. The prehistoric English period is followed by the Old English period, began roughly seven, uh, 700 and ended with uh, 
Norman invasion in 1066, we round that off to 1100 because it took time for the changes to take place. Um, during the Old English period, we had invasions from Scandinavia. So this place had already been invaded by Angles and Saxons and so on from the, uh, the Germanic lands, the West Germanic lands, if you will. Now, a few centuries later, we have massive and partly successful invasions from the Northern Germanic lands, namely the, the Norsemen, the Vikings. So with, uh, the, uh, remember uh, what we said about the history of Germanic. There's a West Germanic branch, which is the source of Germanic. There's a North Germanic branch, which is the source of the Scandinavian language. So those two branches are related. They have, uh, they, they have a history in common. And by the time the, the North Germanic branch separated from the West Germanic language, uh, branch, there were differences in, in the vocabulary, differences of pronunciation and so on. When the Scandinavians invented, uh, invaded the British Isles, they deposited vocabulary words. And their vocabulary words sounded very similar to what the old English speakers were speaking. Very similar, but not always identical. Um, some of the words that, that, uh, that survived to modern English that existed back then that could have come either from Old English directly or could have been deposited by the Scandinavian invaders and we, 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 uh, uh, we can't always tell which because they were so similar back then. Those words you see here. Okay, so kinship terms, man, wife, mother, and so on. Things for objects, seasons, uh, very common verbs, come see here. Uh, some prepositions, uh, a couple adjectives. All right? So those are, those are words that come from uh, some Germanic stock and it's impossible to say whether they're from North Germanic or uh, West Germanic stock. Now, take a look at cases where Old English and Old Norse, the language of the Vikings, diverge somewhat. So for, <clears throat> for, one, for one word, uh, Old English had a word, store. That same object in Old Norse was called sister. The Old Norse one survived. The Old English one was lost. And that our modern day sister is from that. The, the word that we call egg in modern English comes from Old Norse. Old English had a word as well. It was, you can see the relationship, you can see the similarity, it's just the G at the end of egg was softened and became a glide. So egg became egg in, in Old English. We'll see in a number of cases that uh, sounds in the, in the mother tongue, uh, when, when they were uh, incorporated to, into Old English, they were uh, sometimes softened this way. Kettle and chettle. Again, the hard K of kettle in Old English became ch. It's a similar sound. Again, in, uh, in chapter five, when we study sounds a little more in detail, we'll see the similarities more precisely. But for now, notice that the, it's really the Old Norse term that survives in the modern language rather than the, uh, the, uh, the Old English term. So 
But here are cases where borrowings from an invading language supplanted the existing words in the language. All right. <clears throat> Other cases, we have, again, Old English and Old Norse forms side by side have the same meaning. But in this case, it's not that one supplanted the other exactly. They both remained, but because they had differences in pronunciation, people assigned different meanings to them. Okay? It was, uh, this was a kind of long process, but we can only see the result of it. So no and nay both mean negative, but we use them in different ways. If I say nay, uh, if, if, if you ask if you can leave the room and I say nay, that will sound ridiculous. But we use nay where? Okay, for voting. Okay, that's the only, is, is, can we use it anyways? I think that's the only place where we can use that. So this negative just got, got assigned to that, that one kind of portion of our linguistic experience. Rear and raise come from the same Germanic verb. They had two pronunciations, and uh, they still have some meaning in common. Where can you use those two verbs? Think of rear as a verb, to rear something. Where can you, okay, to rear a child? All right. So they, they still have some meaning in common, but by and large, they're very different. To raise means to lift up, and to rear means to, uh, to I don't know what it means, other than to rear a child. This is rear. Yes, give us the meaning. To rear its ugly head or something could also be another way of looking at rear, which is more similar to right. Okay, good. Um, from and fro. Our, the restricted one is fro, obviously. We use it uh, poetically. Shirt and skirt used to be the same garment, and it's just the, the, the Scandinavians pronounce it with the hard K. The old English speakers softened it to, to sh. Uh, uh, those, both of those pronunciations coexisted. The native pronunciation shirt and the borrowed pronunciation skirt. Because they coexisted, people found that it was useful to call, use one word for one kind of garment and the other one for the, the other one. <clears throat> Finally, loose from Old Norse is cognate related with, uh, having the same origin as less, the suffix. So as in penniless or merciless, what's the relationship between being loose and being without something? If it's loose, it can fall off. That's really, that's really the relationship. Okay, so these, these are interesting because they show how words multiply. Okay, from, from, from one Germanic root, we're getting two words and so on. But they also show us how um, uh, meanings, uh, meanings can diverge. We have, we have an opening. There's two words, and we find a way to make use of the fact that we, we have two different words, so why not assign them two different meanings? <clears throat> All right, um, at the, the same time, uh, the Scandinavians coming in, uh, capturing whole parts of, of England and making them their, their own, <clears throat> naming places. Um, we have uh, uh, place names that, uh, that go back to Scandinavia. So all, all these uh, British town names that you see, like Derby, 
uh, end with a, a suffix, meaning town, that goes back to Scandinavian. Uh, similarly, uh, for other, other, other place names and personal names in Thorpe, like Maplethorpe and so on, uh, you'll, uh, those, those really go back to the Scandinavians and their invasion of the British Isles. Whereas the Anglo-Saxons uh, uh, had different suffixes that they named their places. And so uh, uh, you get like Waltham or Walden or uh, places like that. Elmhurst, those go back to uh, the Anglo-Saxon uh, tongue. <clears throat> Let's take a look at what English looked like at this time. So here's a passage from Beowulf. Anybody here uh, study Beowulf either in Old English? In Old English? Yes? Okay. It, I should have said before you raise your hand. Before you raise your hand, if you said you studied in Old English, I'm going to ask you to read this passage out loud. Uh, uh, can you see this okay in the back of the room? If you can't see it in back, uh, please, uh, please come up. I, I tried what I could to uh, to make the image clearer, but it, uh, it, it looks, from up here, it looks pretty miserable. <clears throat> um, what we have is uh, the, uh, the first line at the top is translated down here. The translation begins down here. And I, uh, I want to use this passage to show us uh, uh, a couple of features of Old English that, uh, that, that didn't survive. Uh, for very long. The, um, the main feature is inflectional endings, endings that refer to the, the case of nouns in, in particular. So let's see if we can find some. So in the translation, we see um, Grendel's deeds. We see, uh, okay, in that day of this life, in the third line down of this life is, uh, so we have a preposition of, meaning possession, followed by an object, this life. The way that's expressed in the Old English text is, this is lifus. Notice that es is at the end of both words, and notice that there's no preposition of there. The, the preposition of, this meaning of possession, is conveyed by the ending on the noun. The noun life looks very much like our modern day word, right? The pronunciation was a little different. But the ending on it, es, is what marked it as a genitive or a possessive. The word this modifies life, and therefore this had to be in the same case as life, and therefore, in this case, the word this has that same ending, yes. Right, this is one feature of Old English. If you, if you look through this, even this tiny passage, you'll find other instances like that. All of those case endings, by the, by the end of Old English, by, uh, by the time that Middle, Middle English came, came in, these were uh, well on, uh, on their way out of the language. Let's see what else we can find. Take the word that. So that is the first word of the, of the passage. And now uh, notice that that 
the, uh, the, the way the sound the is spelled is, a, is an unfamiliar letter. But notice that that it has, it ends with a T, all right? Now let's look at that. Somewhere, aha, them, oh, so the fourth, fourth line down, in that day, on them daga. Daga is day. Uh, if you know German, you can see how close English and German are. We, we say day, the Germans say tag, T-A-G. The G from the German word for day was, was present in Old English. We lost that now. The word for that before day ends with an M. But in the first, in the first line, the word for that ends in a T. What's going on there? They're in different cases. The, uh, the, uh, the, first, the, the first that has no ending on it. In that day uh, is, uh, is following a preposition, and so it's in a different case. Right. Anyone care to read this? Do you have any old English? Uh... Okay, I, won't, I, won't ask, I, won't ask, I won't ask you to, to read it for us. Um, so that it, gives you, it gives you a picture of how foreign the language looks to us, but we can still isolate some, uh, some words that, uh, that look uh, pretty, uh, pretty familiar. Let's, now, so what, what happened in the Middle English period? Well, we had the, the Norman Conquest in 1066. The Normans were French-speaking. The, the, the reason they were called Normans, as we say in the, in the text, was they were from the north. They actually originated, they, they used to be Vikings. But they came down and settled in the northern part of France, what's now called Normandy, okay, the place of the, of the Normans. So under William the Conqueror, they came, came over in 1066. And instead of chasing out the Angles and the Saxons, the way the Angles and Saxons did to the Celts, the, um, the, the Norman invaders took over the country, but kept the, uh, the Angles and the Saxon natives there to do the menial work. So the government was run by the invaders, by the Normans. The church was run by the invaders. The education system was run by the invaders. So everything that had to do with government, Education, religion, now was conducted in this foreign language, French. The common people continued to speak English. But because their, their, the context of their speaking was, uh, uh, was, had, was graced by the presence of the, the French invaders, French began to, began to trickle into, into English. And the result of that trickling is, is Middle English. We have an influx of vocabulary. We're going to look for that influx in, in parts of vocabulary that deal with government, religion, education, and also the, the finer things in life. 
Okay, the, right? The, the, the people who ran the place, they're the ones who had the banquets and so on. So not surprising that banquet comes from French. Um, uh, the, uh, to, to get an idea of, of the kinds of changes that happened, look at these terms that, 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 uh, that changed. In Old English, we had Bursitende Mann. Middle English changed that term to citizen, which is our modern word, citizen, all right? Um, if, you, if you look long enough at the Old English, you can even parse it meaningfully. Knowing that it means citizen, help me take Man into its parts to, uh, to show me how it means citizen. So man is person or man. What else can you see? What, what, what is it? Sit. Sit. So, or just sit. Sit. Okay, so, so someone who sits or is located in a bur, B-U-R-H, just burg, okay? So a city dwelling, a city dwelling person. But old old niggas, again, it's a, kind of, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice person. It, it just, it didn't survive because of the prestige of French. It just, uh, citizen just sounded so much more elegant, okay? You'd rather be a citizen than a bourgeoisie de man. It just sounds better. Uh, the word dole, as in to dole out things, we still have uh, as a verb, but as a noun, dole was replaced by portion, which comes from French. Genug, if you know uh, German, means enough, and uh, in uh, in in Middle English, that was replaced by uh, plenty. Okay, mercy, okay, mercy replaced the Old English word. Where again, you can, you can take it apart. What, what, how did the Old English express it? Mild-heartedness. What a wonderful expression. What a shame that we lost that. But it's gone. <clears throat> Um, I, don't, I don't know if this will uh, interest anyone but the, but the linguists here, but um, w when, w when, when we had these uh, native Old English words and then borrowed French vocabulary, obviously those two sets of vocabulary had different structure because they're from such different languages. Um, if you look at the structure of words, uh, you, you can see cases where uh, the, the words can be broken down into parts. So you have a root like dress and a prefix like un, so undress. Good, good combination of Germanic elements. Same for heartless. We saw already that less came from, uh, from a Germanic or, or origin. Heart, similarly. Hope and full also went back to the Germanic roots of, of our language. When, um, <clears throat> when French came in, it brought a new set of roots and prefixes, so a new set of words that could be broken down into roots, prefixes, and suffixes, but a different, a different set of prefixes and su uh, suffixes. So 
disrobe and undress are very similar in meaning, but etymologically, undress is, uh, is Germanic in origin. Disrobe is French and Latinate in, in origin. <clears throat> also, uh, uh, part of that French-based stock was the ending I-V-E that you get after the Latinate verb, uh, uh, verb root pence, so pensive. And A-B-L-E also was uh, French. Uh, French descended from Latin, and so we, we call these, uh, these French forms Latinate very, very often. <clears throat> all right. But when these words kind of all got settled in the language, speakers of the language, say, say, the, say the next generation, after the generation during which these words were borrowed, the, the generation after the, one that, the generation that borrowed them, they don't know where these words came from. They hear them from their parents, they hear them on the streets, okay? And so they're hearing disrobe, undress, and so on. And uh, what the learners of the language are doing is they're just taking apart the, the language and saying, well, I got prefixes un, dis, without knowing what the origins are. So what's going to happen now is we're going to find that German-based prefixes are going to be, uh, be put, put onto new words that came from French. And we'll get things like, let's see if we, uh, we'll, see if the, uh, we'll see some examples here. Uh, give me, uh, here's a native uh, English word uh, that is, uh, I, 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 by, by this I mean uh, the verb to like. Okay, give me, uh, uh, put a prefix on like that doesn't belong on a Germanic word. Dislike. Okay. Talk. Give me a suffix on talk that doesn't belong on a Latin verb. Talkative. Talkative. All right. Do. Put a suffix on do that doesn't belong on a Germanic verb. Doable. Doable. All right. And to, the, to this day, okay, doable, there's something a little bit odd about doable, I think. We have, we have words that came, words that we got from, uh, from French, like visible. Oops, okay, visible. We, uh, we can make a noun from visible, invisibility. Impossible, impossibility. Doable, doability. We, we, we can say it, I'm sure we'll find it in the dictionary, but it sounds a little off to me. Does it to anyone else or is it just me? All right, well, you're very nice. You're agreeing with me, I see that. <laughs> um, let's, let's do the opposite exercise. Let's take uh, the, the, uh, the French word uh, nerve, make it into a verb, and now put a, a Germanic prefix on it, a nerve. Take mercy and put a suffix on it that really is Germanic. Merciful, merciless. merciless. Spirit. Spirit, it could be spiritless. Uh, spirited. Spirited. Even, yeah, even our past tense ending, okay, goes back to Germanic. Uh, we'll get that on, uh, of course, uh, uh, on anything that's a verb in the language. Okay, so one of the things we, uh, uh, one of the tests we can use, actually, to see how far a borrowed word has been assimilated into the language is see, to see to what extent 
it behaves like all the other words in the language. And so that, that's exactly what's happening here. They're all behaving the same. Let's take a quick look at a Middle English text from around 1400. Here we have an interlinear translation, but you probably don't even need the translation. Right? In the old days of King Arthur, of which the Britons speak great honor, was his land fulfilled with, okay, the elf queen with her jolly co uh, company, okay, danced full oft in many agreements. Okay, now, we see lots of Germanic words, but uh, uh, help me find some French ones in this text. This is 1400, so we're a good 300 years after the, the Norman invasion. Say it again. Companion is from French. Good. Yeah. Honor. Honor is from French. Say it again. Charity. Charity. Good. Good. Dance. Dance is from French. Opinion. Um, say it again. Go ahead. Frères. Frères. Oh, yeah. Yes, in fact, uh, that's so French, it's not even English. <laughs> oh, frères. Okay. Yes. Isn't that interesting? In French, frère means brother. We, um, we uh, in, in English, took it to mean, I suppose, the sort of brother that's in a religious order. <clears throat> Good. So uh, what we see, I mean, uh, it, it would be pointless to do uh, a count here. But we see in every line, there's one or two words uh, from French. <clears throat> so that, that's the first thing that we need to see. The other thing is, let's see if we can look for some inflectional endings. Um, notice that we have of here expressed as a, uh, as a preposition, okay, rather than as a genitive case ending or possessive case ending of Okay, of licensed beggars and holy, okay, of again. The, uh, uh, the, the, the way the, the words are ordered, um, that, that search every land, okay, subject, verb, object. It's really just like modern day English. The Middle English is uh, uh, took, took, Old English to a place that is really very, very close to modern day English. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree from, from this text? <clears throat> There's one huge exception, and that is in pronunciation. There, there are a number of exceptions. There's one huge one, and that's in pronunciation. And uh, the, the, the fact of pronunciation is the last thing that we have to talk about in this hour. That's the, the great vowel shift. <clears throat> so let's see if we can find one. Here, the, the vowel links are not. Uh, Marked. Uh, here, great. This word great, it was pronounced greet back in Middle English. And that's not an isolated case. Every modern word that survives in English from the Middle English period, if, if, our, if our vowel is A now in Middle English, it was E. If if our vowel is E now, as in C, B, and so on, 
In Middle English, it was pronounced bay. Go ahead. How do we know that? Um, well, it was true we don't have recordings. <laughs> um, uh, I, I can't give you a good answer. Uh, I, can, I, can, I can give you a sort of uh, 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 rough answer. Uh, from studying uh, uh, poetry and things, we can, we can tell when things rhyme and when, when vowels have similar sounds and so uh, when, when, when they're supposed to. Um, let me think of uh, when, when, when Middle English speakers uh, wrote Latin. Okay, Latin we know a lot about the pronunciation of, okay? When they wrote Latin, they used the. I mean, we, they used Latin letters, okay, for for uh, for, for English. All right. So when they when uh, when they uh, when 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 they were, because we know what the letters, what value those letters had in Latin, we can extrapolate to what they had in, in their language. Uh, I'm not satisfied with this answer, and I'll, uh, I'll, do, I'll do, do a little work to, to find out. It's an, it's an excellent question, and I'd like to give you better an answer, but, uh, but give me a week, all right? Any, uh, all right, good. Any other um, questions about this? Mm. Well, the, uh, the point I was uh, leading up to is about the pronunciation of vowels and the, the, English, uh, the, old, uh, the, the Middle English great vowel shift. Uh, you can find recordings of modern scholars speaking Middle English on the web. I'll give you a link. There's also a link for the for the old English. It, it's uh, it's it's hidden on the slide, but if you if you look up the slide, you, uh, you'll find it. <clears throat> and okay, so let's uh, let's move um, let's move to the uh, let's move to the vowel shift. The way I'm going to introduce the, the, the great English vowel shift uh, involves understanding a little bit about uh, phonetics and where our, uh, our tongue and uh, other articulators are when we pronounce vowels. But the way I'd like to introduce this is by showing you survivals in our English of the great vowel shift that happened uh, uh, around 1500. <clears throat> So look at look at these words. They look very very normal. Uh, and uh, but consider the vowels. Okay, the the, the stressed vowel in athlete, uh, the uh, the last vowel in athlete. Okay, that uh, when you, when we when we put the ending ic after it, it changes its pronunciation. So let's uh, let's make a list of these pronunciations. <clears throat> Anybody see what I, what I did with the, the eraser? Oh, thanks. Thank you, thank you. So with athlete, phonetically, we, we would transcribe that vowel as a long E. The, the symbol E 
is, is used for a vowel that, uh, in which the height of the tongue is as high as you can have it and still have it be a vowel. The position of the tongue in the mouth is relatively forward. So you say e, e. The tongue is more forward than for oo. Say e, oo. All right. Don't be afraid to say it. I see. I see. Don't, don't be afraid. E, oo. So we call e a high front vowel. But when when athletes uh, gets I see after it, that vowel changes from a long e to a short e. Yeah, as in bed, red, and so on. Same for all of these. Discrete, E changes to E in discretion. Extreme, E changes to M in extremity. Bleed, bled. Dream, dreamt. It's a systematic change. All right. Now let's look at another vowel. Take the vowel of explain. Explain has the vowel A, and the, the vowel is followed by uh, a diphthong, A. So explain explanatory. A, a mid-vowel, changes to a low vowel, E. So E is changing to E. Explain explanatory. Fable, fabulous. Mania, manic. Bathe, bath. Notice how systematic, really across all kinds of different words, different parts of speech, different endings, different changes, and so on. But uh, phonetically, we're getting the same changes. It looks very regular. Mm. Now let's look at a uh, 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 case where we have a, a low vowel, ah, ah, which is followed by an e, so i, i. Analyze, analytic. I here corresponds to I. I is a high front vowel. Analyze analytic in the, okay, that's good. Conspire, conspiracy, crime, criminal. All right, you see? So it's like if, if the word uh, uh, with a long vowel has an E, then there's going to be a form when you add an ending to it or you change its tense or something that has an e in place of e. When that, when that vowel is a, there's going to be a corresponding form with e. And when that form is a low, has a low vowel, i, the corresponding form is going to have a high vowel. The reason why this, 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 you know, this doesn't happen in most languages, this, this kind of thing. If you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you shorten the vowel E in Italian, you get a short E, <laughs> you get an E. If you shorten the vowel A, you get a short E, all right? But what happened here when, when, when these vowels were shortened, okay, the position of the vowel shifted. I see a couple hands up, so let's, let's take your questions. I'm going to come closer to you so that we can hear it on the mic until I can hear it. My ears. Right. Um, I see conspire and conspiracy. Yeah. So why don't we have pirate and piracy? Oh, good. Pirate, pirate, that's a good. Piracy, uh, piracy, if, if the vowel of piracy shortened, we would have piracy. All right. Like, uh, but, 
But, but exceptionally, piracy doesn't shorten. I think what happened with it is the, the, um, the, word, the word piracy came in after the Great Battleship happened. So it, just, it was a later development, and, and so we just didn't, we didn't shorten it. But the rule is, the vowel shift rule is, when, um, when, when you shorten a vowel, the, the position of the vowel shifts, okay? Uh, with cycle and cyclic or cyclic, is that Cy something? Uh, yes, so again, if you shorten the vowel, you're, you're, you're going to get a shift, cyclic. If you don't shorten the vowel, it's, it's not. So this, it, it is, cyclic is an exception, but it's an exception to shortening. It's not an exception to vowel shift. All right. Okay. So uh, uh, the, the, the language is going to uh, be rich enough and complicated enough to admit lots of exceptions. All right. But the uh, the amazing thing is the regularity, actually, with which we see this this shifting. Okay. So where they're shortening, we're seeing a shift. Now. I have to make one thing clear that that uh, uh, that up to now uh, I, I may have I may have said wrongly. What what happened historically is that it was the vowels in the words on the left hand side that shifted. So where you see a long vowel, those vowels change their pronunciation. Analyze, let's say, decide used to be decide. Cycle used to be cycle. We, we know that from French, all right? Crime, cream, okay, and, and, and so on. So what happened is that when, when, when the word, when, when, when the, English, the Middle English word for decide, it was pronounced decide. When the vowel was shortened, it became yes. Yeah, so we got decision. But according to the vowel shift, this vowel became this vowel shifted to I. So what we spell with the letter I, and we pronounce as the sound I, originally that used to be the sound E. Middle English speakers spoke spoke it that way. Now let's Look at any foreign language that you've learned, and this is this is partly an answer to your question about how do we know that this this shift happened. Uh, look at the spelling system in any foreign language you know that uses the Roman uh, alphabet: so Spanish, Italian, French, Polish, um, Swahili, whatever. If you see. If you see a word in this, in this foreign language, language X, whatever it is, and it's spelt this way, N-I-N-A, how, how do you think that, that word is pronounced in that language? Nina, Nina okay. This, this letter is used to say E. Well, that was true in Middle English, just like in all these other languages. The reason why that doesn't work in modern English, so when I write N-I-N-E, we don't say, the reason we don't say nin, we say nine, is precisely because the pronunciation of the vowel shifted. All right? And that happened across the line. It wasn't just these few words. Okay, but that sound moved. 
<laughs> the sound E moved to I. That's a huge move. All right. So this, this in part, I think, is, is, uh, is an answer to the question of how do we know that happened? But that raises yet another question. Yes, why? Well, let's, let's come back to that in the second half, along with some other things. Most of you either want to learn about the etymology of words, the, or, so the origin of, uh, of words, or about the history of the, of the language, um, or you want to in, expand your vocabulary. Um, um, among people who had either kind of interest, so kind of structure and origin versus using the language today. Uh, uh, among uh, members of both groups, there was some interest in speaking correctly or understanding you know, what uh, the correctness issues. Um, there, are, there were a couple of uh, uh, funny responses, uh, one of which I'll read to you. Um, I'd like to feel more justified in my seemingly unique and irrational hate of listening to British English, <laughs> and of people, this is this was anonymous, by the way, and of people using British English and a British accent to start to sound smarter and more. <laughs> okay, and to that person, uh, first of all, thanks for being so honest, and I think I, I think I, I think that's great. I I get that. Uh, uh, I have that. I have that kind of feeling myself in that if I hear a British speaker talking, I immediately assume they know what they're talking about. <laughs> totally irrational. Unlike uh, Anonymous, I don't blame it on them. I blame it on me. Because they didn't do anything. But whoever, I, um, I, I watched the BBC uh, World News America, for example. And uh, uh, I mean, just I don't know what it is, but it's not the speaker who tells me I'm more intelligent. It's something in me that tells me this this speaker is more intelligent because his his speech is so British. All right, uh, that's a very it's a very very interesting thing. But really, it's something I think that we project. These values come from us. We project them on other people. For for reasons which I think it'd be interesting to explore. <clears throat> the, other, the other funny response was uh, someone here works in the English department. I said they were interested in, in what I said about. <laughs> so uh, we have a spy from the English department. So everybody, everybody, everybody watch your grammar. <laughs> All right, why don't we start the recording now? And I want, I want to uh, I want, uh, uh, I want give you um, a chance to show me how you can move from one part of our vocabulary to the other. So if I give you a word that comes, that comes to us as a borrowed word from French or from Latin, uh, uh, these will all be verbs. I want, it, I want you to give me an Anglo-Saxon, a good native English synonym. So, for example, if I say repair, you say fix, excavate, dig, depart, velocity, rapid, 
Decay. Illumination. Light. Attempt. Terminate. Converse. Talk. Desist. Injure. Prevaricate. Rotate. Turn. Very good. Very good. Okay, you raise the sharp. Now let's do the opposite. I'll give you a native English word, and you give me a, a, a French or Latin synonym. And uh, I, I said they were all verbs. They're, not, they're mostly verbs, but there's some of Chew. Chew. Eat. Consume. Sell. Okay. Then. Deadly. Deadly. Mortal. Answer. Respond. Watch. Regard. I could. It could be a few things. Think. Cogitate. Reflect. Sad. Okay, melancholy, depressed, dejected, believable. You're, what's going on? Credible. What's going on? All of a sudden, okay. You were so good on the first half. Uh, everybody tired? Um, ask. Request. Inform. Did we do that already? Tell. In inform. Raise. Elevate. Old. Ancient. Dated. Okay. Dated is good. That was nice. Walk. Ambulate. Okay. Well, now we learned something from this. <laughs> Tell me what we learned. Okay. What a difference. What, uh, okay. So uh, you all, tell me what, what it felt like. What, what was, uh, what was, what was going on in your minds when you were having this difficulty? What did it feel like? Can you, do you have any uh, description of, yeah? Well, I recently took my GREs, and it reminded me of all the flashcards I made of the heavenly <laughs> words that I sort of knew but couldn't put a distinct definition to. So okay. I knew the English word, you know, like if I had been given the word, you know, repair, oh. I could say, oh, that means fix. But if I had been given fix, I couldn't necessarily say And, and it's because when you use your flashcards, you only went in the, you Well, went I tried to go both directions, okay. but it was, it was hard well, so to that go doesn't help. Oh, the then that doesn't help me understand why you can go from repair to fix, but not from fix to repair. So help, help me understand that. What did it feel like? What was the difficulty that you were having? Well, one the the repairs seems to be the older form of the word, so it's more alien to us. We're having to re, we're having to translate back rather than translate forward to something that's much more natural to us. Yeah. In fact, fix is native English, and repair came in 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 Middle English or later. So, what, what, you know, the, the fact is that those simple words, those are the ones that we can trace back to Old English, more or less. Whereas the ones like excavate, ambulate, those are the ones that started coming in in, in Middle English. Now, that was five centuries ago. You folks have had a long time to assimilate them, all right? And yet, notice 
Even though probably no one in school ever in your education has pointed out the difference between them, somehow they really have a different status in your language. It's not like repair is a different, difficult word for you or inform. When I, when, 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 when I told you, what was it? Tell. Tell, okay. It's not like inform is a complicated word for you. All right? You know it. You know how to use it. But uh, to come up with it is not as easy. To access it in your mental dictionary is not as easy. Why? Why is that? Okay. Go, uh, actually, can we have you? Because we haven't heard from you yet. Go ahead. Uh, it's more formal, or um, yeah. the casual. Yeah. So the casual ones, uh, even though we're used to operating in formal con con context and classroom, you know, it's not terribly, terribly formal. We're used to operating in these contexts. Still, the most casual parts of the vocabulary come the easiest to us. It is what's most natural. There's nothing wrong with that. That really seems to be a fact, at least for, for some of us. We have more? Uh... Well, I was just thinking the definitions of the, um, the words from French and Latin are more nuanced, whereas the native English words are very general meanings, try, fix, dig, whereas excavate implies a more specific type of digging. I don't all know, right. you wouldn't necessarily yeah. use it in all occasions where you might use dig. So if, if, so if I give you a word that has a more nuanced meaning in the terms like repair or excavate, you have a better facility at coming up with a general thing. A dig or fix is in that general category. Whereas if I give you a general purpose word, you need, you need to find a way to narrow it down. Which way okay, is going to narrow it down in, in the terms of uh, uh, digging into the ground rather than digging through your old computer files or whatever? You have to, there's, there's uh, the meanings of the learned words, the meanings of the borrowed words are more specific. We're fussier about how to use them. We don't use them as often. And so for that reason, access to them is more difficult. But it's strikingly more. If we had timed your responses, where there were even were responses, sometimes you couldn't even respond, the difference would have been dramatic. Okay. Well, that shows us that a difference that goes back centuries and centuries and centuries is still, uh, we're all carrying it around with us. All right. Isn't that interesting? Okay, good. Well, okay, you all failed that one. Let's see what we can do. We do with that. When uh, you you can imagine how people reacted in uh, in in Middle English times when um, French started taking over our native word stuff and wonderful words words like mild heartedness uh, had to give way to mercy. All right, uh, a lot of people's feelings were hurt and a lot of uh, people uh, were angry. And so there, there were many reactions to, to these changes. Uh, one uh, is from uh, Bishop Reginald Peacock. This comes from um, the book, The Story of English, which is based on the, uh, the TV series, The Story of English, uh, from a couple decades ago. Um, uh, so Bishop Pe Peacock said, 
why do we have to have this Latinate impenetrable when we could use good English elements to say the same thing ungo through some? Or for inconceivable, not to be thought uponable. I assume his tongue was in his cheek, although you never know. But someone whose tongue was not in his cheek is uh, John Stuart Mill. This came, this came, uh, this came later. This is uh, about uh, uh, subsequent changes. Uh, the famous philosopher, uh, 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 Stuart Mill, talked about vulgarisms that are depriving the English language of valuable modes of expressing thought. He, he was really concerned and really upset. So he used as an example the verb transpire, which is uh, used as a synonym to happen back in his day. And we, we, we get, I still hear, yeah, what transpired after this? It kind of sounds like courtroom language. I don't know if any of us talks that way any day, but that, that sense of transpire is not the original sense. What does transpire mean literally? Transpire, what's spire? Spirit, breathe. Spire is breathe. So transpire is to breathe through. Uh, it, uh, it, could, it could mean um, like water or, uh, or sweat passing through uh, uh, cloth or, or something like that. <clears throat> um, he calls the, the use of transpire meaning to happen a vile specimen of, of bad English. And then uh, another a vulgarism of the nursery, which we still get aggravating. Stop aggravating me. Okay. Have you heard that? Now, what is aggravating supposed to mean? Let's look at the etymology. Okay, supposed to mean. Following its etymology. Aggravating, let's take it apart. Really, that's, uh, that's what we're doing here. We're supposed to be taking words apart, so let's do it with this one. So I can see one, two, three, four separate elements or morphemes in this word. Uh, uh, someone start me out with one. Okay, ag. Ag is a form of the prefix ad, which means two. Okay, that's the prefix. That's followed by the root. What's the root? Grave. Grave means, as in G-R-A-V-E, a grave problem. Bad. What's the next morphine? Eight. Eight. As in saturate hydrogenate, okay, it makes, it makes nouns into verbs, it makes adjectives, in, so it means to make bad, okay, this, this is a verbalizing morpheme. And then the last morpheme is just the ending ing, <clears throat> which is a participial morpheme. So aggravate should be to make something bad, and in fact, we use that a lot. This aggravated my medical condition, something like that. But you do hear people say, yeah, will you stop aggravating me? Right. And uh, Stuart Mill uh, found that really objectionable. I, uh, let's, let's, let's just talk a minute about whether, whether he's right to find it objectionable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, I, yeah, in fact, uh, tell, tell me about that. Tell me, tell me what's wrong. I correct my mom when she says that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, you can't like make yourself worse, exactly. Okay. Um, so it's just incorrect. So it's, 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 the, 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 the reason why we might view it as incorrect is it, it really isn't logical. It, does, it doesn't follow the, the literal meanings of the, the word elements closely enough, right? Anything else to add to that? Why can't you make yourself evil? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, someone, if someone's aggravating me, that means pestering, all right? Stop aggravating me. It, it has a reasonable, it, it just, it, it has a reasonable meaning, it's just relating that meaning to the, the structure of the word is not very straightforward. Now some, go ahead. I was gonna say, but, but doesn't it kind of show growth in the language? Because it's yeah. changed, it's, it still means to make bad, so, but it also has this new meaning. Yeah. So I mean, this is really saying the same, it's changing the original meaning. And, and so the question is, is change good or bad? Okay, what we can all agree on is it really does change the inherent etymological meaning. And the question we can argue about is, is it good or bad? Now, one, uh, one critic who read Stuart Mill on, on this topic pointed out that in his harangue against this usage, he used provoke. Provoke means what? Provoke means to incense someone, to make them upset, all right? Let's be consistent. Let's go back and do the etymology of provoke and see what it's supposed to mean. So we have ing from provoking. I see two other morphemes. What are they? Pro and voke. Pro means for or in front of. Or so for or forth, if you will. Voc, vocal, vociferous, voice, speak. That doesn't sound like anger. <laughs> okay. So what you see, you see the problem that you get into if you try to maintain as a principle that once something means something, you shouldn't stray too far from that meaning. If that is true, then we shouldn't use provoke for angering someone. You should use it for calling forth. Okay. Can I provoke you to the front of the class? <laughs> okay. And this this is the problem. We want we want our language to be logical. We want our language to be more logical than it is. I think that's a common desire. And what we have to recognize is there are going to be limits on that. All right. So let's just take, let's take these results as data about our own values. And let's keep these in mind and see if we can, uh, as the course unfolds, see other instances of this and study, study our own reactions and see to what extent um, these reactions are telling us something new about our values, 
what we think of language, what we think of uh, a speech, and so on. So when, when we use the word language, then, we are talking about what is including every possible uh, misuse of the language. It's hard to say. No one, no one, can, no one can tell us in advance what a language is. We, as students, have to, have to decide. No one, no, one, uh, 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 no one can tell us what to include and what to exclude. Unless, <laughs> right, and I, uh, if, okay, and, well, lingui linguists will not tell you what to include. What to, everything you say is data for us, okay? So I mean, I I read my junk mail to, to for linguistic data. Okay, I, uh, when when I get these uh, these spam things, uh, these pornographic things that say I'm bored, give me a call and come over. Okay, I just I just laugh, at, uh, you know, just kind of. But you know, you, you want to study the language as people just naturally use it. Where, where, where do we, where's the cutoff point between correct and incorrect? I'm not saying there is one. I'm saying there is not one. I'm saying, how do we find it? And what if you put that cutoff point at a different place than I do? How can we prove which one of us is right? Uh, what, what do we rely on? All right. it's, 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 a it's, it's, it's a real question. We're going to seek to answer that question in, the, in this class. But uh, uh, as, I, as I told you last week, I, mean, I have my own opinion, but I'm not going to impose that on you, all right? I'm, uh, in fact, I'm hoping that, that, that you or some of you will come up with an answer very different from mine and, and challenge us all to, to find some way of understanding why we should differ about that. Okay, clearly there are, yeah, we do have differences about that. Let's let's take a let's take a look at them. See what we learned. Did you have something? Yeah, this example of aggravate doesn't seem to me to be an example so much of a word changing its meaning as a word that is adding yet another meaning to its existing meaning. Yeah. Because it, it still means to make worse. Right. But now or at some point it also came to mean to annoy or to bother yeah. an investor. Yeah. Now maybe in the future one will the newer addition will supplant the other so it becomes uh, an antiquated yeah. use. But at this point, this word is simply morphed to have two meanings rather than one. Good. Well, uh, th that's good. In fact, this is, some, uh, this is a very useful observation because one of the things that we're going to want to do in order to guarantee that our time spent looking at changes in meanings is worthwhile, we're going to try to catalog all the differences. So where one meaning supplants another one, whereas uh, in, 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 in comparison to a case where one meaning is just added on, this is interesting. We'll have to, we're going to look at all the different ways in which word meanings can change, and word forms can change as well, all right? Consider, consider, the, word, consider the word digit, meaning finger which is what it meant in Latin. Now consider digital. What does digital mean? It refers to computer technology. Okay, is that a case of 
added meaning or or digit and digital it's like parent and parental autumn autumnal but didn't digital come from from die meaning two in the computer sense yeah doesn't mean two and jit one no. zero yeah. It means the screen. Yeah. Digit one one zero one one zero one computer. Yeah. Yeah. That's the 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 the, the digit and digital is the finger. All right. What a huge yeah, what a huge change in meaning. If you say the word digital, I don't there, there are probably medical uses that like you know, a digital accident, I don't know. There are probably medical uses of digital still refer to finger, but pretty much uh, digital now. You know, refers to computer. There's all kinds of meaning changes. Okay, and, uh, uh, rather than say that, let's just look at lots of meaning changes and make, yeah. see what we can make of them. Would digital also mean numerical? Numeric. Like, okay, good. Good. So, numerical. In fact, that that kind of that that's like the missing link. That's that's what helps us understand how we got from finger to digital computers, right? It's because digit, we use fingers for counting, so digit means numbers. I don't know. Makes sense to me. Right. <clears throat> um, let's, uh, let's look at some other words. So this is, this is just after uh, Middle English. This is in the early modern English period. Words, discretion, exaggerate, expect, industrial scheme, they all were objected to on linguistic grounds. Um, and yet now, nobody, nobody's upset when we, when, we, when we use them. So <laughs> the conclusion from this, after about 400 years, <laughs> people pipe down and just accept it. Let's see, let's see if we can uh, 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 see some more uh, cases. Here, uh, here, here's an interesting uh, way in which English changed. This is not about word meanings. In Old English, the word for handbook was handbook, okay? Literally, handbook. Middle English came with French, became a manual. Man, okay, is, uh, is a French root, goes back to Latin. Manus, as in, um, oh, emancipate. <clears throat> that's Middle English, so that shows the influence of French. Present-day English, in the 16th century, we, around the 16th century, the time of the Renaissance, we started rediscovering the classical languages. And we started adding uh, knowledge from the, uh, the ancient cultures to, uh, to our knowledge, and left uh, the influence of Greek. So, uh, anybody here um, speak Greek? Anybody here uh, recognize the root C-H-I-R in Enchiridion, the 16th century word for manual? Chiropractor, a chiropodist, C-H-I-R means hand. Okay, and Enchiridion means what? In, inside. An enchiridion is something you hold in your hand. Okay, so handbook, book that you hold in your hand. Manual, something in your hand. Here, using Latin. Enchiridion, something in your hand. Using Greek. And then back to handbook. So we come full circle, all right? 
Um, let me ask you a question. So the, con the conclusion from that is that there's, um, the, the, we can use linguistic elements from all over to express what we want. Which linguistic elements we choose seems to change over the centuries. It's a little bit like, and I don't want to sound flippant here, it's a little bit like fashions or styles. Something, something is a little bit like fashions. Okay. It, they change. Uh, things, things, uh, Manuel didn't sound scholarly enough in the 16th century. In Renaissance, we wanted to sound more classical. And Latin wasn't classical enough. That was too close to French. And so we turned to Greek. All right. That's the conclusion. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Newton published his Principia Mathematica in 1687. Why, if he wanted to sell copies of his book, did he put the title in Latin? What's Latin? What's OK, so Latin was a, a sign of education. What else? The whole book, the whole book was written in Latin. 1687, this English guy wrote the book. Okay, Latin had a status then that we are so far from now, it's, it's pitiful, all right? So Latin really had an active role in, uh, in the language then. Even, even uh, yeah, English speakers uh, were versed enough in Latin to write whole books in it. I was going to say it's like in the 19th century, German was the language of science. And people, uh, you know, physicians had to learn German in order to study their. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think yeah, languages acquire reputations. It's like uh, what we were saying about British accents. They, they acquire reputations. Okay, uh, uh, sometimes the reputations are based on valid principles. And sometimes, uh, maybe not. <clears throat> uh, just, uh, give a, a picture of the, the role of English among the world's language. Language at the end of the 19th century, English was fifth in uh, the number of speakers uh, for, uh, for Europe. Uh, so it, it was just a much less important language then than it was today. Uh, verb phrases as, as, as modifiers. We talked about uh, choke on your coffee funny last yeah. time. I thought about where does that come from? What do we have? We do that can do attitude, a let's see approach. But just uh, uh, in yesterday's paper, Obama was quoted uh, 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 saying that a certain elected uh, high ranking government official <laughs> had a can't do, won't do, won't even, buy, won't even try style of politics. Okay, that's a, that's a good case of using that uh, construction um, uh, uh, currently. Um, I talked about how flexible English was in, in terms of adding new words. The Oxford English Dictionary is undergoing a, 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 a new edition. Uh, the new edition is adding a certain number of words to the dictionary every month. For the month of, August, uh, of, of uh, December 2007, um, I'm going to give you the list of words that were added. The way they're doing, because so, so much has to be added, they're doing it by letters of the alphabet. So in December of 2007, they, they took all the new words 
that were in the P's and Q's. So partway through the P's and I think all the way through the Q's, and they added those to the, the dictionary. Every month, and then uh, in January, they went from the Q's down. And, and so Every month, there's a, a big batch of words to be added. Let's look at the words that were added in December. Here we go. Hurry, pert, puss gut, <laughs> push and shove, cued, quibbing, quick cut, quick mice. Okay, all of these were added to the, now just, just keep, keep looking. Quince, okay, quadruplicated, okay. I can't say something. Pyrotoxin. Look, we're still going. All right. For, now, furthermore, added, <clears throat> added that same month, but uh, from other places in the alphabet. I don't know why they, they did this, but uh, uh, more, yet more. Look, look at those words. And then finally, entries of existing words were expanded. So the, and this is just a very, very small number, maybe... Um, 5% of, of what was added. Under put, what, uh, they added put aback, put about, just new uses of put that hadn't been recorded in the previous edition, which dates back to uh, the 1980s, all right? If you look, look, at, look at all these things just added to put in 20 years, the total new entries to the OED, new entries, is 527. That's in one month for two letters of the alphabet. There, there, uh, okay, you multiply that by 12 or 20, or whatever the factor is, and you get an idea of how much English has grown in the last 20 years. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah? I hope you won't mind asking the question again. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you, and we have to record you too. Sorry, I think one of the one of the one of the was put the phone down. Oh, okay. I'm wondering why that's classified. It didn't. I guess it didn't make it into the 1980 edition. No, no, no. I wonder why. Why the the putting the phone down versus putting on the alt Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was the specific case? Do you have an answer? The specific specific cases, I I I really don't have an answer to. Uh, I mean, each each one of these probably has an interesting story behind it. Right, uh, and with, with uh, but I, I just, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I, I can't answer the question. I, I think it'd be wonderful to. Yeah. Yeah. Could they keep track of the number of words that have fallen out of use? Oh, that's a good. That's a because good question. Yeah. When you're talking yeah. about 450,000 words, yeah. well, sure, if you include, like, to put the phone down as a new word as opposed to putting my glasses down, yeah. but you don't take out the ones that have fallen out of you, so it's very, it's very, um, right. it's distorted. Now, you, now, you know, you know, uh, uh, you, you know that nothing leaves the OED. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, if a word, if a word stops being used, then it's called obsolete, but it never leaves the dictionary. So, we, so which, which, is, which is good because now we can keep track of the changes. Now we can answer your question. How many words were marked as obsolete this last time? There's a, uh, and the answer to your question is there's an easy way to, to, to do the searches I did. You just see what they, what they added. Okay? They, they, they make it easy for you. To, to see which ones were added as obsolete, 
you you have to do a search. You have to search for the word obsolete or archaic or or, or something like that in um, in the new entries. So it, in theory, it's possible to do that. But yeah, the dictionary the dictionary will never remove a once 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 it's there. If it if if it was used in 550 A.D., it's still there. 